today on the show, applying mindfulness to money management. From the streets of San Antonio, straight to your wallet, it's Jake's Two Cents on Jake of All Trades. All right, welcome back. My name is Kurt, and I'm not a financial expert. But I'm Jake, and I am the financial expert. And together, Kirk and I talk about financial planning. We talk about behavioral finance, and we review financial articles, all with the express purpose of helping our listeners build wealth both today and into the future. Oh, but Jake, you have to use your Dr. Laura voice now. You can't. Yes. You set it up that way. We have to I be did. calm, slow, methodical, peaceful. Peaceful. Yes. Because that's what we're talking about. That's what today. we're talking about is mindfulness. Yeah. Definitely change the timber of your voice to uh-huh. be more pleasant. As though you're in a garden and there's a oh. wisp of air over the grass. Do you hear the the wind chimes? <laughs> Although I don't like wind chimes. <laughs> so oh, I just ruined your maybe, mindfulness space. Maybe a little bit of wind chimes. I grew up with way too many wind chimes in my apartment, my house <laughs> and it was just like all the time and i was like mother this is too much <laughs> it was like 20 she loved wind chimes it was like 30 wind chimes oh just my god ding, ding, ding. so we eventually yeah. had to put rubber bands over them because there's just too many of them because <laughs> it was like they would never shut up because uh, the wind will hit you at any time so right. that is mindfulness in a nutshell. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So mindfulness as a topic, I always think about, and I think I might, I, I did it at first too, when it, it felt like almost like a movement, you know, that's happened as of, as of late mindfulness and the whole concept of meditation. Um, but it's been around forever one, but it well, can mainstream. But it's, you know, mainstream a lot now, but I think people perceive it in different ways. So what do you think it means, mindfulness, when you hear that? Well, when I, I read one of the earlier articles that was made mindfulness popular in America, I believe, because I was looking Mm -hmm. into this and there was a kind of, they they used actually Sherlock Holmes as an example, if I remember correctly. And part of what they were saying, and this is in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, not the movie, but the actual books in particular, or the, the short stories that he wrote, because what Sherlock Holmes was really good at was putting aside things that were not important and focusing on things that were, mm. and focusing on, which I think is part of what is important in mindfulness, Yes, is now, you know, what is important and why is it? separate question and mm-hmm. mindfulness focus or my understanding is that it emphasizes a sort of focusing on what's happening right here and now right mm-hmm. so this this microphone the sound of my voice in my ear literal now not just like what's going to happen today i have a meeting in 20 or in 32 minutes right mm-hmm. like i ha- that that's not now now that's is future. What mm-hmm. I'm touching, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the air, this wall, this literally things right here, sound of my breath, sound mm-hmm. of my voice, sound of Jake's voice, the paintings on the back of the wall behind him, those types of things. Not mm-hmm. even, you know, the, the wall behind me, not even my thought that comes up that 
you know, the wall behind me is now empty because I moved my desk and, and I'm waiting for a painting. So I'm a little self-conscious that I don't have cool paintings behind me. That is not a now thing. The now thing is just observing that my wall is back blank right now. That's it. I'm just, look, look, my wall has nothing on it right now. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. saying, oh, man, and people are going to think, like, what's wrong? Where's Kirk in a padded wall and he's gone crazy or something? Right? Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's stuff that actually goes <laughs> through my mind. Right? And so right. That, that, that is how I understand mindfulness as a kind of observational method of just looking at the sights, the sounds, the smells, although I don't really have much sense of smell anymore um, since post-COVID, not as much oh. as I used to. But. Right. Uh, you know, the the, um, the touch, taste of, mm-hmm. you know, so like when you eat your food, do you eat it with purpose and mindfulness of what's, you know, and really take a bite, enjoy, or do you just blah, 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 gobble it down, right. which is how I eat. Blah, blah, blah. That's that's literally <laughs> just the like sound that, I make. Yeah. Um, which is why I go on so many dates, right? Because cause I'm like, what? <laughs> and they never come back and say, like, you eat weird. Why do you go blah, 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 blah when you eat? That's weird. And so they think I'm some kind of monster and they leave <laughs> in the middle of the You're day. You're not very mindful when you <laughs> Which is not true. I'm, I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah. but anyway, that's how I look at mindfulness. I think that's the perfect explanation. Mine, I always just sum, summarize mindfulness with being present. And so... There are some techniques, I think, that you can practice and implement to help you with that because our brains are naturally wired to focus on things in the future and reflect on things from the past. Mm. And especially when we're talking about the context of your money life, a lot of the stuff that deals with money isn't about present, right? It is in the context of like, I'm buying this at this moment, but we plan a lot. That's all financial planning is, is looking into the future and making assumptions and making goals and objectives, and then reflecting on the past as far as how my money behaviors have been historically. But we need to, in a lot of aspects, focus on the present when it comes to money, because otherwise we never get the full satisfaction of all those different things that we're reflecting on in the future. And and I mean, reflecting on in the past and looking forward to in the future. And so if you don't ever come to a sense of, of being able to be present, you miss those opportunities. And I think this is really ties into something we've talked about on this show before, which is that life matters in the interim. Mm. That's a very powerful thing when it comes to managing your money, because it, um, if you don't have that narrative in your head, what happens is I don't ever accomplish goals or I feel like I don't accomplish financial goals because everything I'm thinking about and doing is in the future. But right now, all I feel like I'm doing is working to save, right? So you're, you're telling me that the advice of pay off your debts no matter what isn't correct? Is that what you're perhaps, saying? <laughs> perhaps. Like I thought that was the only financial advice that ever existed and no. that no matter where you are or what's going on in your life, you should just pay off all your debts. And no. be debt free, no matter what. Yeah. That's the, yeah. that's not the case. You're saying that's not that's that's not the case. Because so, think about what that does to your present, right? Exactly. Now, yeah. potentially, that elevates your present because perhaps you're being bogged down with fears and anxieties about debt, right? And so, freeing up that debt would allow you to be present because now you don't have to think about it anymore. 
That's one way. That's one perspective. And if but, I could say something on that, that is true for mm-hmm. me, even like I didn't realize that, but just being in my current financial situation, mm-hmm. it, you know, again, finances is life and mm-hmm. it just allows you to be with people and, you know, like at dinner at a nice restaurant and not really be doing the math in my head while people are having conversations and you're not present. Right. Mm-hmm. So it really mm-hmm. affects your day to day life in every way. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I used to do that sometimes if I'd go to a restaurant with people, I'd like make sure I, I did some math and okay, so I have to do this. I have to do that. Make sure versus just like, not going to worry about this now. I'll worry about it afterwards. And you know, boom, right. I could just, because I know I'm covered in my bank account and I'll, you know, if I spend too much, I'll cut out some stuff next month. But right now I'm here to have a good conversation with my friends. And that right there is the perfect illustration of how all of these different timeframes are coordinated. So I think the message from this episode is not that you don't think about the future and you don't reflect on the past. It's that you reflect on the past, you think about the future, and then you recognize triggers that are preventing you from being able to be in the present, right? Mm. So your example you just gave was that had you not reflected on your past financial habits and then had you not sort of scenario planned for the future and made intentional decisions to pay off debt, you would still be uncomfortable in the present or you would have a distraction from the present. Mm. But because you were able to use both the future and the past, and make a scenario that makes you more comfortable and eliminates one of those distractions from your brain, you can be more present and you don't have to worry about as much of the debt because that was a trigger for you. I think that's really point number one when it when we think about ways to be present is you gotta identify what your triggers are that are making you always think about the future or the past. Yeah. Now, I wonder, so that's the mindfulness. now. And it has some tips in here, right? Um, uh-huh. Three-step process they talk about to get there. And this was in a Forbes article that we're looking at called Applying the Practice of Mindfulness to Money Management, right? Yes. So it's by a, There was a Harvard professor. This was a, a snippet from a podcast episode he did, which is the podcast episode is called How to Build a Happy Life. The Harvard professor is Arthur Brooks. I just wanted to define that. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, Arthur Brooks, didn't he write, doesn't he write for the New York Times as well or something? I, I don't know. I think I have one of his books. Maybe. Anyway, yeah, I think he wrote a book on virtue just not too long ago. Um, the Road to Virtue or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I might be mixing him up, so forget that. It's, off the, I, it's been a while. But yeah, so Brooks is giving some advice on how to use mindfulness in you know, your money Money. management. And he gives a couple tips or processes to go through because, and I do think that that's part of what is one of the messages of mindfulness and bringing it back to Sherlock Holmes is it's not like a list, you know, how there's all those blog listicles and it says, you know, 10 step or 10 things to do for this or 10 of this or what. Yeah. A very prescribed. Yeah. It's, Exactly. And it's very like concrete and specific. You know, here's one thing. They do that for advertising and marketing and, and SEO, search engine optimization purposes mm-hmm. for blogs. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of them, although I've done them before. I don't, I mean, I don't like them too much because I don't think they're that useful really. But they're here, he's giving a he's giving processes and you know, t- helping you think behaviorally 
So I'm much more an advocate of things that help you contemplate and digest these ideas in your own head. So that's yeah. why for me, the Sherlock Holmes thing is a really good model. Like Sherlock because I've read all the Sherlock Holmes story, every single one of them from Doyle. And there's um, by having that model in my head, and then they use that model when talking about mindfulness, I can think about, oh yeah, Sherlock Holmes is really good at like pushing away things that aren't important. Like he, he, he gives an analogy of the attic in his mind. And I think it's an attic. And the attic of his mind, you know, like people were making fun of him because he didn't know the, um, the planets in the solar system. Mm. Even though he's this brilliant individual and he says, yeah, I don't have any need for that. Like I'm a detective. So I push that out of mm. my mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that's a kind of mindfulness thing in a sense too, is like he, you know, he said like, it might've been up there some point, but I just push it out of my mind or I don't, you know, ever have need for it. So it's not in the attic of my mind, right. In my, my mind palace, I think he referred mm-hmm. to it once. And I don't know if you have to do that far, you know, what's going on, you know, that's, we could talk about that, but that model, yeah, yeah, exactly that technique. But, you know, my point is that listicles with these 10 things to do or concretes and you skip, you know, one through eight and you just read one that's interesting to you and you, maybe that makes you feel good for a moment. That's not the best. What we have here is something that kind of gives you these processes and that's what's important, especially for mindfulness and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, which is a process in a sense. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of went through that process a minute ago. So, and it's not different <laughs> from these three steps, really. Yeah. The first one, and there's nothing new here. Like you said, it's about reframing behavioral concepts rather than yeah. listicles. I like that. So the first step is literally about setting goals, which we've talked about umpteen times. And <laughs> Uh, we, I'm a huge advocate of obviously, cause that's what financial planning is. And so the first step here is that that's normal. Like you're going to set those goals and it's okay to set those goals way into the future, right? What are you going to do in 10, 25 years from now? But the difference is that we're not super hardcore into defining it exactly, right? We're dreaming of aspirations. We're setting those aspirations for the future, because in reality, they're not going to pan out to be exactly the way we think they are. So don't obsess yeah. about that piece of it. And then once you get them sort of molded and formed into your mind, write them down, right? Or put them in your financial plan or something. Just make some assumptions so that you have them in front of you. And then I can compartmentalize that thought, right? That thought can now go up into the attic of my mind because mm-hmm. now step number two in this list. Well, well for that, step one though, real quick. So what do you think of the terminology used learned optimism to dream up and set long goals, long, long-term goals? So it's not so just I, setting goals, but he's saying be optimistic. Be optimistic. That's specifically. Very powerful. Right? right. So These I think that's that make you feel optimistic. Yeah. About so like the future. Exactly. So you need to think about not 10, 10 years from now, I'll get under debt. Right, that's a goal that you could have, and that's a good goal to have. But he's saying use learned optimism to dream up and set long-term goals. To mm-hmm. so, like, what do you, you know? What do you want your life to look like in 10, 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. You know that that is a different kind of goal sometimes too. Uh, mm-hmm. Versus again the debt as an example of in ten years I want to be debt-free. That's a good goal, but I think he's saying 
or, or that that's probably to number two that that debt free goal. He's saying something a little bit different, right. right? He's saying more like behavioral what your or life. You know, you want to you want to have a, a nice house with a study and a movie theater room mm-hmm. in it, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a ten year goal. You want to start a company that does something that you've always wanted to do, or you want to write a mm-hmm. book or whatever that those or, or do a record deal or, or, or record a, a music album, you know, whatever. Like that's, those are goals that you might have. So what do you, that's, num, that's how I interpreted number one. I think that's a good point. And it's about connecting. It's about connecting with that goal on a different level. Yeah. Because you've got to, we are projecting into the future and it does need to have a sense of optimism. Otherwise it's going to feel like an obligation Mm. and we all have enough obligations as it is. And so these are supposed to be life accomplishments and life accomplishments need to be positive. Otherwise they're an obligation. So that's that. I, I think I glanced over that too quickly was the use learned optimism as a way to set those long-term goals. Yeah. And that's what I'm a huge fan of. When I work with clients and we're setting goals, I don't want you to just tell me you want $3 million in 15 years. I want to know how you're going to connect with that $3 million, yeah. right? Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. that's not going to be a meaningful enough goal for you that you're going to stick through it, stick to it through all of the rest of the life that's going to occur between now and then. <laughs> Absolutely. So if we take those connected goals that we feel really convicted about and we feel good about them, we need to be able to translate them into some tangible steps in the present because we're trying to take future and past and connect it with our present moment as part of this mindfulness exercise. And so in the example of being debt-free perhaps, right, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal to think about if you've got a lot of debt to just be debt free. That's too overwhelming. So we need to translate it into, okay, well, maybe if I did a calculation and I determined that every week I'm paying $85 in interest on my debt, for for example, now I know that in the present, I need to skip my morning coffee because if I do that every day this week, that will pay the interest on the debt. As one example no, of how I could have translated that no, into an immediate. You lost. <laughs> I'm leaving. You, you can't even say that as a joke. <laughs> right. I'm I would kidding. never do that. I would never do. Like, Unless you're saying like, okay, there you go. Say that. There you go. That make I could love it. Make your, don't skip it. Cause that's that. Yeah. Cause then you're not making any deal. money. Cause I'm going to be dead anyway. <laughs> so like, so like I, I want, I need that to survive. Give me my juice. I need my juice, baby. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. You just totally lost me when you said coffee. So get rid of coffee. Like, <laughs> might as well say like, don't eat for a couple months. Cause that'll save you yeah. some money. It's true. But I'll it's also true, be dead. but it's not practical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think without the You're coffee, right. I'm gone. Drink your coffee at home. Yeah. Make some tangible changes in the present because yeah. those compound. Just like when you put money into the markets and it compounds by interest growing on interest, little decisions today compound towards future objectives that you want to accomplish. Yeah. And then the third piece of advice, I think kind of goes to what you were talking about, about Sherlock Holmes and compartmentalizing in mm. your mind. He says, live in day tight compartments that set a goal for being fully alive over the next 24 hours. And that's really, and this was, he references that the, the, the term no. day tight compartments originated mm. 
with William Osler, but was popularized by Dale Carnegie in the 1930s. Did you ever read Dale Carnegie? No. I read all, I read a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Back when I was younger, I loved it. Really? Yeah. He's the how to win friends and influence people, dude. Yes. Yeah. That's right. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> and now, today, this is the, this is our world. I think a couple of years ago, there was a show or movie called How to uh, Alienate People and Create Enemies or something like that. Like that's that's the the TV show. That's the <laughs> that's the modern version. That's the modern. Back in equivalent. the 1930s, it was How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's trying, and now it's How to Alienate and Piss Off People or something like that. Oh wow. Something like yeah. that. Like I have to look it up. <laughs> How to alienate and yeah. Anyway, that's Dale Carnegie. But yeah, he he did he did, was like one of the first big, not the first, but one of the big popular American self help people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like in that field. So he, he has a staple. I think yeah. him and uh, Napoleon Hill were contemporaries. Think and Grow okay. Rich. Uh, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Which so I've along read. those same lines. Well, Think and Grow Rich was um, yeah. Napoleon Hill was a little bit different because he. His was more focused on, so we're getting off a tangent, but you know, I love self-help stuff, but he, his was more like, he said he had interviewed the richest men in the world and he was coming to the masses with what he had learned mm. and he had developed principles. Now, I think he did actually talk to people like, uh, not Dale Carnegie, but the other Carnegie, the Carnegie of... Um, Oh man, the 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 railroad magnet and and mm. Rockefeller oh. and those um, uh huh. What's his name? What Carnegie? Anyway, it's, um, all I can think of right now is Dale. So I'm forgetting his act his name. But there's another Carnegie that was you know really rich and you know he, so he said he you know these these men that had created wealth, especially the ones that created it from nothing, right? That were that were mm. the American um, rags to riches stories. Examples of yeah, yeah. he he brought the message of what they so it's actually really interesting some of the stuff he says some of it's kind of bizarre um mm-hmm. anyway so yeah that's that's Napoleon Hill. So that's Separate. who carnegie is and some other artists i mean yeah. kirk loves to read by the way if you yeah. didn't know kirk loves to read I which is very good yeah he's got lots of books as you could see behind me <laughs> i used to have a few books you could see behind me um yeah. but i put all my books this is where my books were right here but uh jake Helps me be more mindful, because and and like design my space better right. by having more feng shui, whatever it is, space. So Jake yeah. was very helpful in that because I have no eye for that. Um, but I was like, so this is actually very relevant. I think very important about mindfulness, not with finances necessarily, but like you know the creating the, space. Yeah, creating space. But that's I think a good analogy for what financial mindfulness does, is it does kind of like free up space makes you feel confident makes you feel capable of being present and doing and doing the work that you need to do right now rather than being worried about something or anxious about something going on yeah yeah so that's exactly bringing that back totally. somehow yeah totally that's absolutely right that's kind of the third that third step about living in day tight compartments is really about setting somewhat of a structure so that when you are engaging in activities throughout your day those are intentionally placed activities right so like breakfast time meeting time responding to email time these are separate times that we've compartmentalized for our day that allow us to focus and focusing is about being present and that frees up 
more opportunities because now I feel settled to dream of other things, to mm. dream of concepts. So when I am thinking about the future, it's not out of angst or concern. It's about opportunities. And I'm using my time in the present to sort of help enhance those thoughts about the future. That's it. Yeah. I think that's what you have to do. I mean, yep. you have to figure that. And, and there's a lot to that. It's not something that just happens overnight. Um, yeah, you know, there's it's not, it requires an t intentional effort and a lot of practice. So don't practice. That's all I was going to say. If you're, yeah. if you're trying to, you know, be more mindful, be more present, those thoughts are going to continue to derail you in your head. That's just part yeah. of the gig. So, you know, there's, there's many tools out there. There's, there's, um, apps, there's things you can listen to. There's Do you use um, any apps. So the only thing I've tried that seemed to work a little bit is uh, it's not an app, but I use a presence reminder on my phone. And so once every hour, and I don't do this every day, but um, once every hour, I'll have a chime that bings. And on that mm. hour, I know that sound means that whatever I'm doing, if I'm capable of taking a pause to close my eyes for 15 seconds, just to sort of reset where I am in this moment. And then you can go back to whatever it was that you were doing. So I found that technique to be kind of helpful for myself as well. Yeah. There's a lot of books on this. So you could just, if you're interested in this, um, I haven't read like mindfulness in general is what yeah, just mindfulness in general mm -hmm. stuff by psychologists and scientists and, you know, um, just yeah. people who practice for a long time. There's a lot of great books here. Even the, the one that I bet is the most popular is called Unf Your Your Brain. I won't say it on the show because <laughs> um, so they actually spell it out. Exactly. Well, it might be good or it might just be a good marketing. I don't know. Uh, oh, but true. yeah, there's a lot of apps. What's the famous app, the popular one right now? There's, calm. Is it just Calm? Well, that's the one where the guy's talking in your like. He's, that's a meditation app. Yeah, it's not yeah. a mindfulness app necessarily. Yeah. So there's one that's like a mindfulness one. I thought. That's hmm. popular. But yeah, there's apps now. It's a big, you know, billion dollar industry, mindfulness. Yeah. It's mindful capital. And don't let that, don't, I know that our tendency, at least my tendency when I hear stuff like that is like, I'm going to roll my eyes because now this is just a marketing campaign, right? Well, some of but it probably is. Yeah. Some of it is, but there is a lot of evidence studies that tell, that show being mindful is a is a healthier way of living yeah. with your brain and your thoughts and and typically people who are more successful tend to be a lot more mindful and so yeah. that's a really good technique that we need to start working in i agree i agree all right guys well that wraps up this episode of jake of all trades be sure to check us out on social media by searching for at jake's two cents check out the blog at jake's two cents.com take a deep breath and we'll see you next time um. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network. Member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency. Actual performance and results will vary. These interviews do not constitute a recommendation as to the suitability of any investment for any person or persons having circumstances similar to those portrayed. Consult a financial advisor regarding your specific circumstances.